How about giving God glory for all you do to make those things possible? Amen. We got Dr. Rick Scarborough with us. I'm going to just let him step right up to this pulpit. Uh, great man of God. He was at a church, First Baptist Church, and it's called Pearland, isn't it? Pearland, Texas, by Houston. And I know they baptized several thousand people, but they built a, on a 23, 27-acre facility with a, a school, a nursing home. I'm telling you, he's left a lot of uh, just great things in different cities that he's been involved in. But one of the big things is he's the founder of Vision America, and that's where him and Pastor John you know, met, or that's where they're, they're kind of yoked together to make sure the church realizes what's going on in America and how it's kind of slipping away from God, and how to be salt and light. And so uh, we want to give him the pulpit. Pastor John's giving him the freedom. Uh, I'll let him explain a little more about what you've been doing and about the book and what you're going to share this weekend. God bless you. What a joy to be back at Church on the Rock. Um, I was uh, listening to the <coughs> stories about ministry, and I was reminded that you folks partner with us. Vision America is a, is a, a major force. I don't say that. Uh, with any self-glory, but God has used this ministry to touch this country in a magnificent way. We're seeing great ground taken back, but every time we go out, we now have about 16 employees full of part-time. I'm no longer the president of Vision America this past December. Uh, Brother John was at the meeting where I stepped down as president, took on the role of, as founder. You know, I'm a little older than I used to be. I know I don't look like it. Uh, I told my wife the other day that I was the oldest I'd ever been. But I'm not, I'm not tiring or stepping back in, in any measure. I'm devoting more time to writing. I, I will be a keynote at all of our events, continue to take part in the strategy and laying out of the plans. But a young man who uh, has been on our board and has worked with me for a number of years by the name of John Graves, he twice ran for Congress and, and in fact, was in a runoff with Louis Gohmert the last time he ran. Uh, we have both rejoiced that Louis won because what a great congressman he's become. And it also freed John... Uh, to do what he does best. He is a, a, a legal expert. He has a law degree and an accounting degree. He's now giving the, the direction to Vision America as a full-time uh, president. He was uh, operating very much in that role as CEO for the last two years and on the board for over 10 years. But you pray for us. You partner with us. We have taken over 400 pastors to Austin. When we got through with the presidential election, we'd worked in 10 states. We'd done a bus tour uh, all the way up to Ohio and then down through Pennsylvania, through Virginia, North Carolina, and into Florida. Uh, we went over to Colorado. We worked some uh, in uh, Michigan when nobody thought Michigan was a possibility for a conservative candidate. We uh, put time and effort into Wisconsin. And when we came home in November, we were exasperated, exhausted, and ready for a break. And then comes the, uh, the uh, bathroom bill fight. We got a call from, the, in fact, I called the lieutenant governor uh, on my cell phone, and I just said, Dan, how can I pray for you? Because uh, I've, I've known Dan Patrick for a number of years. I, he preached in the pulpit at First Baptist Church Pearland at my invitation. He's written uh, an incredible book. It's entitled The Second Most Important Book You'll Ever Read. And uh, that's the name of the book he wrote about why the Bible is the most important book you'll ever read. Uh, he is a very committed Christian, and I I've grown to love the man, but I kept seeing in the press he was <clears throat> leading the battle uh, in this country on establishing that 
God made male and God made female. Isn't it amazing we have to discuss that? That we think that we as human beings can change God's order? But he was the only figure out there speaking about it. So I called him one night about 10 o'clock. I said, Dan, uh, how can we pray for you? And boy, he was under the gun. So that resulted in a, in a, a phone call the next day. Uh, what he needed, he said, was people. Because what others in our state government were saying is, uh, this is not an issue. Nobody cares. Nobody makes, nobody's calling. We're hearing from the other side, but we're not hearing from the church. And in fact, they were bragging about that. And so on your behalf, you are a partner with us. We began uh, hosting meetings in, in, in the Capitol. We took over 400 pastors on two separate occasions and their wives, cost the ministry over a half million dollars, and we didn't have it. But your church and others who joined with us helped us raise that money, and he's most of it. We're still trying to raise some to pay those bills because it was not planned. These are not the kind of things you budget. We thought it would be an off year, and that's when we typically kind of retract, reduce our staff, and get ready for the next round. I looked up in the second, I think it was, of our meetings, and I saw John, Pastor John, and Pastor Linnell sitting in the audience. Now, the meeting had been going on for hours. He's not just one of the crowd. He's a board member of Vision America, and I didn't even know he was coming. He and his wife went right through the channels that everybody else went. They signed up. I, I knew we had uh, several hundred coming, but I didn't know who they were. And I'm, up, I'm somewhere moving around trying to keep things operating as we, we're having speaker after speaker. And there sits Brother John and his wife in the audience. And the reason I tell you that story is that you need to know your pastor doesn't just preach it. He lives it. He and his wife took time from their busy schedule. They drove 300 miles to Austin. And he sat for hours as we were educating pastors, preparing them to then get on buses and go and lobby legislators. While we were in Austin, the bill got out of committee and passed the Senate. While we were there, it had been stalemated. But you know, two or three hundred pastors in that particular group who represent over 200,000 people in church. We had pastors in the group that ran as high as 40,000 and as low as 40. All-sized churches. But when they began rattling on those doors and making those phone calls and going to the pulpits and making calls, it went through the Senate and went to the floor. But there it stalled because we have a, we have a system in Texas governance where even the will of the people can be thwarted if a strategically placed person sitting in the speaker's chair decides he don't want some kind of legislation to come forward. And that's what we've got in Texas. We've got a speaker who's not sympathetic to this cause who's said repeatedly he has no interest in seeing this legislation pass. It's a cure in search of an illness, he says. 80% of Texans, when polled, both sides of the political spectrum and all the independents, 80% say they want established in Texas that when their children go to school, some harebrained superintendent can't of his own uh, volition one day say, we have... Boys' restrooms and girls' restrooms, and you pick which one you want, which is what happened in Fort Worth and in other school systems where anybody can make a decision at that level, and it suddenly becomes the rule of that school. You remember when Dan Patrick stepped out of his comfortable office and took on that superintendent, and he ultimately reversed himself because of the public outcry? We have to have men who stand on principle. We have to have pastors 
who then bring it to bear in churches. And you have got a pastor like that. I'm telling you, Pastor John is not the average run-of-the-mill pastor. And you need to understand that. And I said, let me also say this. Those who stand with him, Pastor Mike and, and Sharon, his wife, Pastor Zach, uh, Pastor Travis and his wife, Whitney, uh, Pastor Cole and his uh, uh, wife, Brittany. I, I'm trying not to say wife on one of them that has a fiancé. I'm reading my notes carefully as I go down. Um, uh, who, one of them has a, a fiancé. I thought I wrote that down. I don't want to get somebody married before I'm supposed to at this point. <laughs> Pastor Nick and his wife, Delena, do you pronounce it? Uh, Sean and other members who are in, in uh, support roles. Your pastor couldn't do this if he didn't have your support and the support of this godly staff. And I want you to know, folks, while they're away, the leadership team is away, you need to be praying that, as the pastor said a moment ago, they are refreshed. Because I promise you, as a pastor, you never quite get away because you're constantly monitoring those who are in the hospital. And if there's a death, you're always on call. And so you understand it is difficult for these pastors to get a break. There is not a more tension-filled and difficult role in America than a pastor who's walking with God. Now, if you're like the, uh, uh, <laughs> I was reading on uh, one news report today of a, of a Methodist preacher, prominent, who just resigned because they wouldn't, uh, they wouldn't endorse his lesbian friend for a position in a certain denomination. Well, that, you know, that's not the kind of pastor you have. You have the kind of pastor who will be carried off in chains if the legal systems of our country get so perverted that it's illegal to stand for truth. Brother John is not going to flinch. And that's why I love him so. And I, uh, it is my honor to stand in his stead tonight. I want you to take your Bible, and I want to be sensitive to time. Let me also, let me give you the, the passage we're going to read here in just a moment. Turn your Bible to Revelation chapter 12, and we're going to read a portion of the Scripture there. It's not in the handout or on the overhead, I don't think. But we're going to read from Revelation 12 in just a moment and set the course of this message tonight. This message is coming from one of the chapters of this book that was released earlier this year called Mighty Men Stay on Track. I had the joy of visiting with about a hundred of your men for two hours this morning and taught two of the chapters during that time, one chapter and a portion of the rest of the book. I want you to understand tonight that I am on a mission. It is a mission to find a core group of men in every church I can and teach them how to rally around their pastor as the mighty men that are written of in the books of, of the Chronicles and Kings who rallied around David and gave him such support and strength. I hope you know the story recounted in the Old Testament about those mighty men who gathered around uh, David when he was exiled, when he was uh, literally uh, running for his life. These men stood by him and stood strong. And when he became a king, they led his armies. They stood with him in the good times and the bad times. Every pastor in America needs a core group of men like that. Ladies, I'm not a male chauvinist pig, but I am very much a biblically-based male, and there's a different role for men and women in the church. I thank God for those women that right now are meeting in the pastor's office praying for me. What a joy to know that there are women of God in this church serving in various capacities. But I'm looking for the men who know what it is to be a man who will stand on principle. 
I'm going to say this because I, I believe God gave me the contents of this book. I don't know of a better gift you could give to any man in your life than a copy of this book. And then make sure they read it. It is 12 chapters based around 12 track and field events. And it was written, pulled together. It's really, it was actually based on a series of sermons I preached during my time at First Baptist Church of Pearland during the, the Olympics of 1996. I took various track and field events that they were seeing on television night after night and then developed sermons around those track and field events. I took that transcript fully, what, uh, 20 years later and developed the book entitled Mighty Men Stay on Track, the forward written by General Jerry Boykin, who was once the Undersecretary of Defense and headed up all of our special ops around the, the world for better than 20 years. He wrote the forward to the book. In the back of the book, there's a dedication to my daughter, Catherine, who was a, 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 a young lady with growing reputation in the running world, was featured on the cover of Texas Runners Magazine. She also, uh, as I told the men this morning, in the second marathon she ever ran, the Houston Marathon, she finished second out of 10,000 plus female runners and was the first non-professional, the only person that beat her was a professional runner out of Wyoming. She was a gifted long-distance runner. The Lord called her home in, 19, in uh, 1994. She died in a bedroom in our home. And I've written this book in her memory. And I've, I've literally, uh, during the season of grief, penned a number of poems, two of which are in this book. One I read to the men this morning. The second one sets the stage for the purpose of this message tonight, which is basically how to live victoriously. But a subtitle would be, Fighting the good fight. Ladies and gentlemen, Satan is on a mission. You're his target. His goal is to steal, kill, and destroy your spiritual life and everything you possess and everything you love. Just as you see the attack when it was unleashed on Job, that's Satan's desire and design for all of you. You remember, he had to get permission from God to exact that toll on Job. And there was a unique arrangement where he was allowed to assault Job and take everything he loved and everything he, that, that he owned and strip it all away, even down to his physical health. I believe the reason God did that is God knew the character of Job. And he knew that for thousands of years thereafter, that you and I would draw nourishment and sustaining grace from the sufferings of Job. He was the only man on the earth that, perhaps could have endured such suffering and not cursed God as his wife asked him to do. But I'll tell you, when you read those tragic things that unfolded on his family and on his person and on his possessions and on his profession, when you read all of that, that is Satan's design for every one of you. The thief cometh but for to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus came that you might have life and have it in super overflowing abundance. Would you uh, take your Bible, we'll read that, and then we'll read this poem. But I want to read you from Revelation chapter 12. Would you stand in honor of God's Word? Now, I'm told I need to be through in about 20 minutes, so you're going to have to listen real quick. <laughs> I can do that too. The Bible says in verse 10, or verse 7 of this passage, There was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. 
The great dragon was hurled down, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now have come salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers, brethren has been cast down. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, because the devil has come down to you with great wrath. He is filled with fury because he knows his time is short. Do you believe those words spoken by Jesus are true? They were true and they were spoken. Then I submit to you they're 2,000 years more true now because we're that much closer to the, to the unleashing of hell and the return of the Savior. He, is, he was angry then because he knew that his end was imminent. Time is set differently in the eternal realm. But I assure you, we are now 2,000 years closer to that judgment upon his life. And everything that reminds him of Jesus, whom you are created in the image of God, everything he sees that reminds him of all that he lost, he is out to destroy. He also understands this simple principle. This will help you understand the danger we are all in apart from our Savior. The way you hurt a man is by hurting those he loves. The greatest pain I've known in my life came the moment that I discovered Catherine, our beloved 25-year-old daughter, had died. Unexpectedly, after suffering for seven years. But we thought she was beyond anything like this happening. The coroner said, because an autopsy was required, she died in her home, that there was nothing unusual in her system except for one thing. The medication prescribed was of such heavy dose that her 70-mile-a-week running regimen caused her heart to fail. There was a time when we'd have thought suicide because we had seasons where she'd get so depressed she would want to die. But we were four years beyond that the day she died. And I'm here to tell you, the pain in my heart will never go away. It is a reminder, that's what Satan will do to all of us if the hedge is ever removed. Let's pray now. Father, I've already preached enough to give an invitation. But you've instructed me to say more. And I pray that there'd be an anointing in preaching and in hearing and receiving. And even as Brother Mike prayed over me so perceptively, let the anointing be in abundance on both speaker and hearer. Lord, I need your presence. I long to live there. And I praise you that we have it tonight because you invaded the praise and worship earlier. There's prayer warriors who've prayed before and during. Lord, I take great comfort in standing in that place. In, I pray that you now speak to us all. I want all of you standing to pray this after me. Lord Jesus, speak to my heart tonight. Let's all pray aloud. Lord Jesus, speak to my heart tonight. Lord, I thank you that you've done that because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Mike, is it? oh, right there. That's, you may be seated, by the way. Your staff is meeting needs before I know I have the need. Thank you. I want to read a poem that I wrote. Let me tell you how I wrote this. I wrote one poem between the time Catherine died and her funeral, which I read to the men this morning. And it's recounted in the back pages of this 
book might even stay on track. But I wrote a second poem several weeks later. Not Well, it couldn't be too many weeks because the incident I'm going to recount to you happened about three weeks later. It was the first time I went to any event beyond our home after the death of Catherine. And it was preempted by a discovery that a dear friend, a lawyer who serves in nonprofit organizations, his son was a Marine fighting in Iraq in 1994, and was failed on the field of battle. Same age as Catherine. So Tommy and I gathered ourselves together and drove to San Antonio to participate in that funeral and support those parents because we knew the pain they were going through. Preceding Catherine's death, we were driving one day. We live, at that time, we lived 15 miles uh, due east of Nacogdoches, way out in the country in a little town called Martinsville. And one day we were taking a back route into town and I suddenly stopped because I saw an eagle in the top of a pine tree that a storm had taken the top out of that tree and there was just exposure above uh, the, uh, uh, the pine needles. And there at the top of that sat a beautiful bald eagle. And that would cause you to stop and so I did. And we watched that for probably five minutes now, that's the setting of this poem. Eighteen days after sweet Catherine died, the gentle Savior came alongside of Tommy and me as we traveled to cheer friends who had lost a loved one so dear. Struck down on the foreign field was he while serving his country to keep us free. Like Catherine, he died at 25, making the ultimate sacrifice. On the fields of Iraq, he committed all. For a cause he believed in, this soldier stood tall. It's often repeated that freedom's not free. Byron Trotter died for you and for me. As we processed our grief consoling each other, missing our daughter as a father and mother, we passed a vulture signaling death. Without a word, it took my breath. My heart began to sink in despair, but I heard a voice say, Son, I care. More for you than you've ever understood. My thoughts toward you are always good. Child, have you forgotten that the day before Catherine died, she was longing for more? She often spoke of how eagles soar and prayed for the day when she'd suffer no more. So I showed you and Tommy a curious sight. You stopped to admire it, so regal and bright. A beautiful eagle perched so high, displayed in the majesty his backdrop, the sky. You both enjoyed this scene for a time, but neither of you knew what I had in mind. I was granting you the assurance you'd need when today by faith you planted a seed of hope and compassion for others who cried, sharing your experience while trying to deny how painfully deep you were hurting inside with all those questions that begin with why. I am the God of infinite detail. I am the God who cannot fail. I am he who understands I am he with sovereign plans. If you're willing to place your faith unreservedly in my wisdom and grace, I'll allow your faith to become your sight. My peace will displace your darkest night. When you saw the eagle that day before Catherine Ann was called away, I was carefully showing you that Catherine's dream would soon come true. They that wait upon the Lord will always be renewed, restored. On eagle's wings, Catherine came to me, no longer weary, finally free. 
So take my rest, my burdens light. I bear it with you in the night. While Catherine left you for a while, she today wears a forever smile. When you see the eagle soar, think of Catherine and cherish more. The life she lives with no more pain. To live is Christ. To die is gain. You have got to have a warfare mentality because you're living in a war zone. Every day, Satan is working hard to distract you when you drive, and he's working to bring you in the path of another vehicle to cause your death. You can bank on that. He's planning your death behind the wheel of a car. Or he's planning your death by heart attack because of stress and not laying everything on the altar as you know you should. He's planning your death by any number of ways. And the only reason you and I are alive tonight, because thus far in our journey, God has kept the hedge in a measure to restrain his hand. His plan for you is to destroy you. It's just that simple. Ladies and gentlemen, we're not to just fight from a defensive strategy. Now, guys, I'm not going to use that outline if you're planning to put it up. I, I'm looked at the time, and I'm going to simply finish with remarks. But Satan, who has that plan, is subordinated to the will of God for your life, who also has a plan. His plan is rooted in his thoughts, which are always for your good, according to the writings of Jeremiah. And by the way, those are the writings of the weeping prophet. The prophet was thrown in a cistern and left for dead. The prophet who was constantly threatened with his life because he stood in the face of power. That prophet understood and and lived in the place where there was peace. And wrote to us that God's thoughts are always good and never evil. And God, Jesus himself said, I have a plan for you. I have a plan for abundance. That your life be full. Are you living a full and abundant life tonight? You know, in the chapter that this, these remarks were intended to be rooted from, I talk about thinking. You see, the battle is on, in two areas of your life. The battlefield is the mind. And the operation is your tongue. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if you're rooted in the Word of God and walking in God's Spirit, no matter how difficult or how wicked somebody treats you, you'll speak blessings and not curses. You'll be a positive thinker, but beyond positive thinking, a sanctified thinker. You know, the wonderful thing about God is He's the God of creation. You know, our parents, speaking of my, my own parents, never conceived of an internet or a phone they could carry and do as I did sitting right there. Check out the special session so I can tell you it's July 17th. Uh, we often in our family, my wife and I have, I have this expression. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll think, well, I wonder what such and such is. And then the other will always say, hey, you don't have to be ignorant anymore. Just Google it. I mean, folks, think about it. You think those who preceded us ever conceived of such a day? 
Google was basically what you did when a beautiful girl walked by and you was a teenager. <laughs> now, it's become synonymous with facts, or at least implied facts. May not always be true facts, but facts. Do you realize, ladies and gentlemen, God did intend for you to just to sit and soak, and he never intended for you to sit in a, in, you know, on a pew of a church where you would try to avoid all the trouble or find relief from the trouble. God made you for trouble. You ought to be a troublemaker. You ought to be shaking heaven and assaulting the gates of hell. See, the creator, by the way, every creation, every invention, I should say, that man discovers is nothing more than finding out another thing God knew and had reserved until that moment. The creative genius of God. And he lives in you and I. You know, a lot of us, we look at what is and we confess it. Well, I ain't got no money. I can't give to the new building. I ain't got no money. Why are we building a new building? We've got enough for me. I mean, why should we care about telling all of Texarkana and people from across the USA that go by this church that there's a church that's alive and growing? Who cares? Some of you would say because it's cheaper. It doesn't require as much. Folks, that kind of thinking will kill you and it will kill your fellowship. It'll kill your family, daddies. But you know, when the Holy Spirit gets hold of a man, he becomes a creative thinker. There is no greater illustration, and I talk about it in the book. Anybody here know who Dick Fosbury was or who he is? I assume he's still alive. He's older now, if he is. But before Dick Fosbury high jumped, a, a, a good jumper could clear six feet. And by the way, I was amazed. In high school, when I was in junior high school, they taught me how to high jump with a scissor jump, where you jump as high as you could and scissor your legs over. And you know, I, I got up to four feet. I'm so proud of myself. Higher than anybody else in junior high. In high school, I learned about the barrel roll. And that was the consensus way to jump. It was innovative. It had, they had done away with scissor jumping because now men were leaping and they were clearing the six-foot bar on occasion by rolling over the bar head first. But somewhere in Oregon, there was a high school boy who said, I, I think I'd like to do that backwards. Can you imagine telling your coach, hey, I jumped backwards. He'd say, are you out of your mind? You're going to break your neck. But Dick Fosbury, in his mind, conceived of running up at that bar and at the last moment turning backwards and just flopping over. And the last thing he'd do is kick his feet. Do you know now that they're clearing eight plus feet with the Fosbury flop? Uncovered to the world in the 1968 Olympic Games. Do you realize the God who conceived of the Internet and of the Fosbury flop lives in you? Do you realize that there's more to the world than what you've seen so far? And that God didn't, didn't want you to spend your whole life watching television thinking about how other people have done things. He wants, to, he wants to create energy through you 
to change your home, your neighborhood, and this city. He wants you to have a world vision. And he wants you to understand, as the great armies of the past have understood, I told the men, I'm reading us, a three-volume work that's about 700 pages on the life of Stonewall Jackson, written by his, one of his contemporaries. And you ought to see uh, how, how in awe this man was of a fellow soldier because he saw things so comprehensively. And he saw not men as units. He saw them as a, as a working team. Not individuals, I should, should say, but as a working unit. And an army of inferior numbers kept destroying much larger armies because they were infused with a vision of that general who told them they weren't individuals to preserve themselves. They were a part of a unit to save their country. And so they thought nothing of their personal needs or wants or even their life when it came to dying because they were a part of something greater. Do you know that is exactly what you are if you understand the church? It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about the body of Christ and the kingdom of our dear Savior. Don't you understand that we're engaging an enemy and he's destroying our country right now because so many Christians have, have gone into hiding. They've fallen into their foxhole and they're praying for Jesus to come. And I got a suspicion he's going to lay that coming until we get out of the foxhole. Get back in the game. Get on the front line. Passage we read talks about Satan coming down with great wrath. But how did that generation overcome? Did you read what John wrote uh, as he told this picture of Jesus? He said, the devil has come down to you with great wrath. But he said, we have overcome by a decision to trust the blood of the Lamb. By a declaration. And by the dedication they loved not their lives even unto death. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives even unto death. In this room, there are two kinds of people. The saved on the road to heaven and the lost on the road to hell. Of the saved that are in this room, there are two kinds of saved. Those on the front lines taking back ground, charging the enemy, Standing in the blood and authority of Jesus Christ. And those who have slipped by the way and have lost the urgency, lost the calling, and consequently lost the joy. Are you saved or lost? And are you standing or cowering? Beloved, I'm here on behalf of the Lord Jesus, invited by your pastor who trusted me with the most sacred Trust a man can give another man to represent the kingdom and advance the gospel. And I'm here tonight to offer you salvation if you've never been saved or if you are, are not saved. And to offer those of you who are saved a, a time of renewal and reclaiming of the lost ground. Would you bow your head, close your eyes, and nobody move unless you have a responsibility? There are only two kinds of people in the first place, saved and lost. If you were to die tonight, if you were to drop dead of a heart attack or be killed pulling out of this parking lot on that busy uh, interstate, would you go to heaven or go to hell? How many of you in this room can say, Preacher, I'm not perfect. I don't always do what I ought to do. But this one thing I know, 
I know I'm saved because the Holy Spirit of God is living in me. I have settled salvation, and I know tonight that I'm saved. Would you raise your hand if you can say that as your testimony? What a blessing to see. But there are hands all over not being raised. You may put them down. The question I have for those who didn't raise their hand, did you not raise your hand because you couldn't? Did you not raise your hand because you can't say that you know you're saved tonight? How many in this room would say, Preacher, that's exactly what I'm saying. I don't know that I'm saved tonight. If I were to die, I don't have assurance I'd go to heaven right now. Pray for me. If that's where you are spiritually, would you raise your hand so I can pray for you? Thank you for your honesty. Thank you and you. Are there others? I don't mean to embarrass you. I'm not going to point you out, but I'll pray. Anyone else want to join and ask for prayer? Preacher, I'm not sure I'm saved. Last question. Preacher, I know I'm saved, but I don't have the joy of my salvation. I'm not walking where I used to walk. There's not the bounce in my step. There's not the, 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 the kind of connection I used to have with Jesus. I'm not seeing things happen like they used to happen in my own life. Preacher, I want to get back there. I want to be where the joy is. I want to take ground. Preacher, I can't say that's where I am right now. I know I'm saved. But I also know that things aren't right with God. Please pray for me. If that speaks to where you are tonight spiritually, would you raise your hand so I can pray for you? Hands being raised all over the congregation, here and there. Anybody else? Anybody else? Would those of you that have raised your hand and asked for prayer, whether it's for salvation or to renew your right spirit with Christ, would you stand to your feet? Don't come forward. Just stand. I want to pray for those who stand. Stand to your feet so I can pray for you. Preacher, I'm not walking where I need to be walking. I want that connection I used to have again. Folks, don't be, don't let your pride keep you from claiming your right. Stand to your feet and I want to pray for you. If you raise your hand and said, I don't know, I'm saved, pray, stand up. I want to pray for you. Father, I see people standing. You see hearts. You know what's going on inside of those hearts. There are some here that need salvation. There are others here that just need a renewed spirit within. Father, I know on both occasions that repentance is necessary. That there has to be a turning from self and from sin. And a commitment to follow Jesus as He is so they can become like Him. Father, I ask You in Jesus' name to honor the humility of these standing. To meet them where they are. And Lord, I pray that tonight would be a night of great rejoicing. While you're standing, I want you to listen to these instructions. I'm going to ask our pastors and ministers who are assigned to stand across the front. The Bible says, if two of you shall agree as touching anything you ask, it shall be done of our fathers in heaven. They're here to, to agree with you. And they want to pray specifically for you. There are some of those around that didn't stand because for one reason or other, they didn't they weren't willing to take that stand of humility. But if you're one of those who didn't stand, when everybody stands, you let that be your first step to the front. I want those of you who are standing to come and pray with these who are going to be at the front. I want others who need to come to come and pray. If you haven't been saved or if you're not saved, be saved tonight. Let's stand to our feet and sing while pastors stand across the front and you come and let them pray specific for you and with you. Even now, I ask you to come. Amen. Altar team, come on up. All you altar workers, Amen. come line across the front. And if you're an altar team member and you need prayer, then you leave your assigned duties and go to one of these ministers. Don't let anything keep you from leaving here right with God. Let's see.
was like All I could see was the struggle Haunted by ghosts that lived in my past Let someone pray specifically for you tonight but There's some need beyond what I expressed Just wondering how long is this gonna last? Then you look at this prisoner. If you need to be saved, let somebody give you the gospel tonight. Let us give you Jesus. You need to restore your salvation. You need the fullness that you've lost. Come and talk to these men and women of God. Shake off these heavy chains, wipe away every stain. Cause I'm not Come on. who I used to be. begins at 6 o'clock on Saturday evening. We're celebrating resurrection tonight. This is worship time. I know you didn't leave your home or your place of recreation or whatever you were doing to come to church just so you could check it off for the week. I have to believe you came to meet God. And if you haven't met Him, please don't leave without signing up once again, renewing your faith reestablishing your vows we're going to sing together one more time through the chorus if you need prayer let this be the verse that you come forward on don't leave here without getting in right relationship to God let's sing last verse 